Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you join this podcast from. Um, and our guest today on the podcast is a first-time guest. It's always great when we have, a, we have a lot of repeat guests and we have a lot of people that we welcome back to the show, but it's always nice to have a new face uh, and a new voice on the podcast. Today, we welcome Deborah Henley. Deborah is the founder and owner of Vivacity Consulting and is here on the podcast today to talk a little bit about getting the most from your speakers at events, a, a subject that um, many of you listening to the podcast will be well-versed and perhaps have torn your hair out over years of trying to organize speakers. Deborah, a very warm welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, and as I said, the, the, the topic that I mentioned is, is very simple, I suppose, in essence. You know, people listening to today's episode will no doubt have read the synopsis of today's podcast and seen that it's relevant to them and will have all had instances where they've, they've booked speakers, they've arranged conference programs and getting the most out of them and handling speakers is one of those sort of, I dare I say, arduous jobs, but it can be a tricky job, can't it? Absolutely. I think we've all had that experience, whether as an event organiser or even just an audience member of sitting there and seeing the speaker come onto the stage and you're, you know, you just hope it's going to go well. Hmm. And if you look around the room, if the heads are nodding, if people are engaged, if the person opens their mouth and has the audience in the palm of their hand, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Indeed. You can enjoy it. And then sometimes you just end up booking speakers and they stumble and stutter or they talk about a message that's completely off track or off theme and your heart sinks and you're responsible for it if you've planned and organized the event. So um, as, as both a speaker myself and as, an, as a former event booker and speaker booker, um, I have come to learn a few tips and techniques for kind of getting the most out of speakers and ensuring things go well. So and, um, before we get on to some of those, I think it, it's important that we perhaps do take a step back and, and put into context your own experience professionally and, 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 and why that, that, that puts you in a position to, to be the guest today and to talk about the subject that we are talking about. Just for, for a couple of minutes, could you give us a, a little bit of a background as, uh, with your own sort of professional experience within the events industry? Uh, yes. Um, well, most recently, I've, um, I've, I've just written a book this year called Your Leadership Story. Um, which is about using your life experience to influence and inspire. And this is for leaders and speakers to um, make use of their own personal stories in order to convey their message. Mm -hmm. And so for the last eight years, I've been working with leaders in big organizations and corporates to enhance their presentation and make use of their own stories and anecdotes and experiences. Mm -hmm. Presentations. Um, but prior to that, I was at EY and I headed up um, the relationship development activities, which included all the speaker events and also other corporate hospitality events um, for financial services clients, so for banks and financial institutions um, in the city. So I can really understand what it's like and what the stakes are like for anyone who's organizing events with high stakes audiences mm. um, and you, you want things to go well. Um, but my, my background before that was in psychology and I trained in clinical hypnotherapy, neurolinguistics and worked in that field. So not at all a, an events related type uh, background you'd think, but it's, it's proved to be really helpful because it's helped me with language skills and re really understanding the mentality of audiences um, and what they might uh, 
uh, want to experience when they're in, a, in an event situation, what they want to experience from the speaker. Sure, absolutely. And, and um, a, a couple of things sort of spring to mind immediately. Um, when it comes to preparing and briefing your your speakers for, for an event whether that be in a, a conference a congress it could be a, a an after dinner speaker at a, a, a dinner event um there's a fine balance that an organizer and a coordinator has to strike between allowing the speaker to actually do what they have been booked to do yeah but uh, but also guide them in such a way that does make it relevant because a speaker doesn't want to be felt like that they're being dictated to as to what they can and can't do. Hmm. I think a, a really simple bit of advice I, I would give um, and something I always do is to, to just ask the speaker if they were just to convey one message or there was one take-home idea that they wanted the audience to get from their talk or presentation, what would that thing be? Because then you know that you're both kind of on the same page and that that's what it's driving for. If you like the message, you think that's a valuable message, then you can kind of be fairly satisfied that it's driving towards that. Of course, there are other things to look out for as well, but I think this is a key thing just to start off with um, is to ask them what's the one message. And, and I call it the KFDs. And I get, you know, I get, I get event organizers to ask themselves yeah. and to ask the speaker, what is one thing you want people to K, which is no. Yeah. What's the one thing you want your audience to feel yeah. as a result? So then you can do a sense check on the feelings. Are we, mm. do we want them to be inspired, excited, entertained, or do we want them to feel motivated? And finally, what's the, what, what would be one thing you would want them to do as a result of that? Right. So I think just by asking yourself those KFDs, what do I want from my audience to know, feel and do? Um, and then just, sense checking that against what your speaker does, you can, you can mesh those two things together and, and ensure that you're heading in the same direction. Sure, yeah. And, uh, well, when, it, when it comes to, to I, su I suppose, getting the most out of them, you, you can often book a speaker for an event based on what appears to be their knowledge base and their background. So you want somebody to speak on a specific subject and you go to that person because they run a company that does that specific thing. So you think, well, they must know what they're talking about. Um, how, what, what's some of the advice that you would give to people in order to try and find out how good that person would be actually standing on a stage and delivering a session to somebody? Because having the knowledge is one thing, being able to deliver that cleanly to an audience of people in a set period of time is something else completely different. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that, that's why there's a, a big difference between um, taking on professional speakers and um, taking on, say, industry experts. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're taking a professional speaker on, then it's fairly easy. Uh, any professional speaker ought to have um, a, a good showreel that you can look at, or at the very least, you know, a bit of footage so you can you can just check what they're like and you can see them. Um, you can check with their bureaus if you're hiring them that way. But they they ought to have something um, online that you can see and, and sense and feel. But when it comes to an industry expert, they, I'm sort of thinking about Einstein. I think it was Einstein who said you don't really understand anything unless you can simplify it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's the same thing with any industry expert. You want them to be able to put it into a short, snappy synopsis mm. um, and to be able to convey their key point. If they can't tell you in one paragraph what their talk's about, 
<laughs> then they might ramble in the actual talk itself. I've used I've used the very almost the exact same wording when talking to to session speakers or to organisers before to say look you know if somebody is a genuine subject leader or expert in something they should be able to pretty much impart some sort of wisdom or knowledge or understanding of what they're an expert in in 60 seconds yeah, yeah. you know five minutes max yeah. if they can't do that and if you've totally lost and you're have no idea what they're on about in a minute or five minutes imagine what it's going to be like in a 25 minute conference session or a 45 minute session um all that's going to do is 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 be amplified over a longer time scale and you run the risk of losing your audience um uh, the the tricky thing being is that a, a lot of the time people won't have show reels available will they they won't have a video or something like that and so one thing i was i'd like to ask, I, I wanted to get your take on is how much can be gauged from somebody's um presentation be that powerpoint or keynote or google slides or anything because that's another one that i've had experience of coming i will look at somebody's powerpoint yeah and i will instantly know whether or not it's going to be a good or a bad session and that might be a really sweeping judgment to make but if somebody's got a beautifully presented session yeah with really lovely clean pictures and graphics really simple slides that look nice but don't feature a lot of words i think right this guy knows what they're doing or this person knows what they're doing. If somebody gives me death by PowerPoint with 40 bullet points at font size 12 that nobody can read, I kind of get the feeling that they are literally just going to read from a script and it's not going to be as engaging. Have you had any experience of looking at that sort of side of things and deciding whether or not it's worth going down the route? Yeah, well, I, I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. I think, you know, 17 words or less on a slide is kind of the rule of thumb. And if somebody has the courage and the confidence to just put images or just what, you know, one or two words on each slide, then you know, you, obviously this isn't absolutely foolproof, but the chances are very high that they're going to be able to, you're going to be able to rely on what they say mm. and they've got the courage and confidence to do that. So um, if somebody's sending you a big death by PowerPoint, multi-worded slide, I think, you know, that's probably that they're not going to do a good performance. It's very difficult to do a good performance for anybody if you're sure. trying to, to address a really complicated slide. Absolutely. Um, so, you're, you're, as, you, as you've already mentioned, you're an experienced speaker yourself and you, you've done this a lot, but in your experience of doing that and also working with other speakers, do you think that the organizers and people actually at events do enough to make the speakers feel comfortable and put them in an environment a physical environment where they're allowed to feel relaxed and to, and to deliver the best possible content do you think that there is a there's more generally speaking that people could do to, to achieve that i think there are, there are a few things that are important just to make sure the speaker can do i mean it's it's important to have the um make sure that the speaker's given an intro Mm -hmm. And that has been checked almost word for word, um, you know, the, the way you pronounce their name or the MC is going to pronounce their name and everything else yeah. is all checked in advance. And so they can feel comfortable that they're going to be introduced in the right way. And they've met the MC or whoever's going to compare it or, or pull the thing together. They've met that person uh, nice and early and they feel comfortable that person's got their back. Sure. Um, but also when it comes to before the event, um, I think it really helps a lot of speakers to be able to get up on the stage physically if they can. Um, yeah. 
you know, and do, do a sound check, but also do their own kind of mental rehearsal, whatever they need to do. Just walk mm. around on the stage, own the stage a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and be able to kind of perhaps walk around the space, get to the back of the room. I always like to go and physically feel <laughs> the back of the room as well um, yeah. as a speaker, because then I feel I can, I can hold the space, the space is my own. And uh, a speaker needs to feel that they, they belong there. Mm. Um, and they can kind of put their presence down. Um, so, 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 something that I do, having had experience of, of, of doing that, is I'll always say, do exactly what you said, which is try and get the speaker there early enough to get into the room with no audience to say, here's your presentation loaded and ready. Just double check that everything's in order. It's almost like a, a safety bed for them to know that between emailing it from their computer to your machine and it being transferred into a, a venues machine that everything still works as it should do. So yeah. I always like them to do that. I, I always say to them, stand up there and just speak for 30 seconds down the microphone to get a feel for how your voice sounds in this room. And so that we can help you to speak at a level that's going to give us something to work with from a, a, a tech point of view. You know, people can often get in front of a microphone, they hear the sound of their own voice for the first time, and their instinct is to either speak quieter or back off, mm. which is then mm. making it, give, giving the task of getting that out to the audience a little bit more tricky. So little things like that, I think it's really important that you try and make them feel as comfortable as possible in the environment that they're in, no matter how experienced they are, because every, every venue is going to be slightly different. And I think often, uh, you know, we, speakers are very nervous before they get on, on the stage, even the most experienced ones um, are going into some sort of, you know, zone. So it's, it really helps to kind of say, okay, well, you know, five minutes before or whatever, we're going to have your mic on. This is where you're going to be standing. Yeah. Uh, so-and-so will stand up to signal to come on stage. So just let them know what the process is um, in those last five minutes and in those last 10, 15 minutes. So they just know, even though it sometimes sounds a bit oversimplistic to go through these things, I just think the brain can only cope with so much and their head is going to be full of their presentation. Yes really helps to just give that, that break down that detail but I think the other thing that's important in terms of getting the most um, out of out of the speaker is or, or this is more in terms of looking for the speaker I don't know whether you want me to address please yes yeah definitely definitely because I think it, that is that's a that's a definite issue you know people plan big conference their annual events and they have big programs to fill and when they'll get to a stage, particularly, you know, two, three, four weeks out from it, and they think, well, I've still got several sessions that I've no speakers for. There's a, there's a sort of desperation that fits in. I think it's at those sort of stages where people can make mistakes and book people who might not be suitable simply because they need to fill a slot. Absolutely. And I think you can tell so much when you actually see people and hear people speak. I mean, right now we're, we're able to speak like this and you, you make some uh, immediate judgments on how people are when you've seen them. So even if they don't have a bit of a showreel or they don't have any uh, footage of them speaking on a stage, do have a conversation with them if you can. Mm. Uh, or at the very least, get them to just record a little snippet of video speaking straight into their phone and just sort of say, yeah. this is what I'm gonna be speak, speaking about. Um, and here's what I hope the audience will get from it. And that's the real key thing that I started off today sort of saying, it's really, what do you want the audience to get? as a result of this um, speech. Um, but I think the things to look for are what I call the seven C's. Yeah, I noticed this. I, I was reading some, some material prior to, to the recording today and I did notice the seven C's and I've got that scribbled here to say to you, what are they? <laughs> well, this is what to look for in a speaker. So 
that the first of the C's is their ability to connect. How much do they have a connection with the audience or just with somebody else? And connection, all of these seven C's um, come out when speakers share something about who they are or are comfortable, kind of revealing themselves, not just um, kind of reading from a script, but mm. doing things in a more personal way. So connection is the first one. And then secondly, credibility. Have they got what it takes? Do they um, have the experience? Um, have they worked perhaps in, your, in that market before or around that topic? Um, do they know what they're talking about? Um, yeah. You can obviously check that in a variety of ways. Um, the third one is context. Um, are they able to contextualize their information or their ideas in a way that makes sense to your audience? Sure. So can your audience apply what they've said in their mm. world? Um, the, next, the next C, the fourth C, is conviction. And I just think this is a bit like passion. You know, do they, do they have conviction about what they're saying? And therefore, are they convincing to your audience? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then, and then we've got the fifth C, which is um, collaboration. So uh, collaboration is the, the sense that they can get a we, a we feeling in the room. We're all yeah. in this together, you know, yeah. aren't we all, uh, don't we all experience this? They're one of us, you know, we're in the same game. Um, there's no mistake that the American constitution begins, we the people. And Barack Obama in his inauguration speech said we hundreds of times, we the people, we this, you know. Yeah, yeah. Even, even Churchill, we will fight on the beaches, we will yeah. fight on the landing ground. Yeah. So, so I think a speaker that can be kind of oriented around um, that kind of we sensibility just brings everybody along and everyone's, mm. everyone's on board and excited. So do they have that sense or are they going to sit there as an expert and put up a great big barrier yeah. between themselves and the audience? I'm mm. here, you're there. Yeah. And they're, they're very different feelings for the audience. I agree. Like, yeah. There be lots of experts in the audience that know just as much or more about the topic anyway. Yes. So. In, in, indeed, that, that's it. On the, on the subject of co collaboration, just I know you're go we're going through these 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 C's, but somebody said to me once, if you can get your audience nodding in the first couple of minutes, they will notice it. And if they if 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 you're sat individually as a delegate or an audience member, but the person on stage says something that you instinctively nod your head to, and you see everyone nodding their heads around, instantly you know that that's a shared experience, that everybody who's nodding their head has got experience of exactly what that person has just said. And within that, just that simple movement mm. of a group of people nodding their head in agreement means that you've then got something in common with the people sat around you. Yeah. It's like a brilliant icebreaker to get something in there in the first couple of minutes that, that encourage, not encourages, but instinctively makes everybody nod their heads. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And in, in hypnotherapy, there's something called the yes set, which is about getting agreement from people. Um, when you can get three yeses, the person's sort of internally saying yes, mm. then they're much more likely to go along with the next sort sure. of suggestion. So in terms of influence, you know, you kind of want those yeses um, right up front. So I really like that. And, and actually, it's sort of, I know as a speaker, you, you notice those imperceptible little nods in the audience and you kind of go, yup. I've got them. It's, it, 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 it's sort of a, almost a tick, isn't it? Great. Yeah. yeah. They all agree with that and they got that point. Phew. <laughs> Phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. and it's actually a friend of mine who's a comedian who, who does a lot of comic speaking um he said that he knows that out of 10 people uh one will laugh out loud uh three or four will only laugh if other people are laughing first yeah there were a couple that will smile and yeah. then, you know the remainder will just never laugh or smile or anything else and just <laughs> you know so um he just said, you know, if he can get those one in 10 laughing, then there's the ripple effect and he'll get the three or four and then he's, he's happy and he's got half of them laughing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you almost remind me of George W. Bush. You can fool some of the people all the time and they're the ones we need to concentrate on. <laughs> Which I thought is an, out, an, an, outstanding, uh, an outstanding quote. Where did we get up to with the C's? I'm counting one, two, three, four, five. I'm still counting two missing C's. Absolutely right. We've got um, the sixth C which is a catalyze action, a catalyzation or catalyze action. Right. That, that was me trying to shoehorn it a bit into a C because you could just say it's cause action. Okay. You cause people or in other words, you inspire people to want to do something, whether that some, some speakers are kind of speakers who have been mountaineers or they've crossed an ocean or done something extraordinary. And um, you want their talks to, inspire people to think what's my own mountain to climb or what's my own ocean to cross. But any speaker who's, you know, however benign, um, you want them to kind of inspire people to say, okay, what does this mean to me? What would I do in response to that? Mm -hmm. What's an action that you might want people to, to do? I know people would often argue that uh, um, they might have an industry expert who's just giving information. Yeah. I would argue that if it's really going to be an arresting, captivating talk, even if it's giving information, there's some translation into action for, yeah. for the people. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some way it applies in their own life and something they might want to think about doing. Mm. Um, if, you know, as, if we want to captivate our audiences and rather than just inform them, we do need speakers who are prepared or, and able to do that. Mm. Um, yeah. And then finally, it's about creating a community. Um, it's that sense of identity. Who, you know, it, it's it's a sense that we want to be part of this whole this whole movement, this whole thing. I mean, um, Steve Jobs did this brilliantly with Apple. Yes. Your, and, and I don't know whether you remember their Think Different campaign. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah so in that sense, they they were not just trying to. Uh, sell a product um, that was technical. What they were selling was a means to be uh, the person, that, an Apple type person. So that's somebody who thought creatively and who thought differently. Yeah. Their different campaign was about um, putting that manifesto, that idea across. I remember somebody saying to me um, when the iPod first not came out, but when it sort of started to take off, but it hadn't exploded. Yeah. And the iPod had these really identifiable white headphones that everybody, you know, you, the millions of them all over the world now, you see them every day on, on tubes and on buses and when you're walking down the street. But in the early days of the iPod, the white headphones were really unique and identifiable when, you know, all the other headphones were, were black. Mm. Um, and somebody said to me that, that, that one of the things that they wanted to do with Apple was create this, this sort of 
silent link between people. So if you stepped on a train and you were wearing yours and you yeah. saw somebody else with theirs, there was almost this sort of, it was like a coded message that we're, we're, we're an iPod user. Everybody yeah. else isn't. We're yeah. part of that community of people who get it and those people don't. And yeah. it was something as simple as turning, colouring the headphones in a, such a unique way that mm. it would instantly allow people to identify other users within that community. Yeah, yeah. And, and ideally, if your speaker can do that and make everybody in that room feel, you know, we're in this special place. And uh, we're, we're in this talk that's about this and we're part of uh, mm. the group. That's, that's a wonderful thing. You might have three or four breakout sessions going on simultaneously, but you want everyone to feel, I'm in the right place because I've chosen this one. Because yeah. Because it's talking about stuff that matters to me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm Time-wise, I always have one eye on time with the podcast and, um, and, and it's important that I try and get as, as much as I can in. One thing I wanted to ask you was your, um, the thoughts on the sort of the two different ways people source speakers for events, um, as I see it. And that can be either choosing somebody who is a, not necessarily a well-known speaker, but an experienced speaker and choosing them because they have a session that they do regularly mm. and bringing that in and making that relevant to their audience or saying to a speaker, I need a session on this topic. And then that speaker having to go and create a new session from scratch on that topic. There's two sort of distinct sides to that. And um, they both have their place undoubtedly, but I'm curious to sort of know whether or not get your take on, on, on that sort of approach to things. If you understand what I'm trying to say. There. I do understand what you're saying. And I think I've got quite a clear idea of what I think about that, which is um, if, if you want a speaker to talk about um, a broader area, that's fine in a small kind of conversational type way. Mm -hmm. But if you really want a blockbuster of a talk, most really great speakers have perfected a particular keynote or two or three keynotes over a number of times and they can adapt it and bring it to life and apply it to different audiences but they've built built up a collection of stories ideas experiences and a depth of knowledge around that topic and a, and a depth of and ex, number of exciting ways to convey that information so that they can bend it and apply it to different audiences so I'm very much I suppose of the mind that if somebody's become very um, excellent in their, their particular keynote topic, <clears throat> then that would be a better way to go than asking them to produce something completely new and fresh. But having said that, my caveat would be, uh, you do get speakers who've been saying the same thing for 15, 20 years, and then it's getting yes. old. And I, <laughs> I've, got three, I basically, I've got three rules of, uh, or three ways um, of thinking about it, particularly when people tell uh, personal stories or their own anecdotes. There are three personal stories people tell. Only one belongs on the stage. So uh, the first one is this broken record or scratch record one we've just talked about. They've said it so many times, it's lost its real energy. Yeah. You know, it's been repeated and repeated and they've disconnected from it. It's not alive for them. They're probably bored to tears themselves. And so they're <laughs> going to be bored by it. Um, and then the second type of ones, which are almost the opposite, where um, it's, I call it the kind of open wound story. It's sort of people telling stories which are perhaps very emotional or, or else it could be very detailed, but they haven't found the salient point or message in it. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, but it's, it doesn't really belong on a stage. It's still a bit of a mess. It's still being thought through or worked through. Mm -hmm. And then the third type is the inspirational talk or, or speech. And what that has typically is it has a key message for the, that's in service to the audience. And everything about that talk goes towards conveying that point in a way that is brought to life, connects, engages the audience and is relevant for them. Mm. There's uh, lots, lots to think about and lots for our, our podcast uh, listeners and, and watchers today to think about. I'm sure all of whom tuning in today, having seen the synopsis of today's episode, will have had experience of what we've spoken about on today's episode. Um, our guest today is Deborah Henley. Deborah is the founder and owner of Vivacity Consulting. And we've been talking about this difficult task of finding the right speakers for your event. And once you've found them, how you manage them, how you brief them, how you give them a comfortable environment in which to, to flourish and deliver the best possible content for your, for your delegates. And um, Deborah, if anybody uh, wants to find out a little bit more about what you do and maybe wants to get in touch directly or find out about the book that you've written, how do they, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Um, well, they can look me up on YouTube. I'm Deborah, I've got a Deborah Henley channel. Um, my website is called vivacitygroup.co.uk vivacity group um so i can be emailed there deborah at vivacity group or find me on linkedin or twitter both in both cases i'm deborah henley at deborah henley so it should be easy to find um and for yeah. the purposes of, of the video just let's see the book one more time you there we go. story use your life experience to influence and inspire so i i work with this when i um work with leaders and I coach them through their speak, speeches and presentations, their leadership speeches, but it helps them really identify who they are and how they communicate. Um, so I can coach your speakers um, or even speak myself if you should so wish. Fantastic. Deborah, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. It's been great to have you on. Um, if you're watching today's podcast via eventindustrynews.com, don't forget that you can go over to your chosen podcast platform and listen to audio versions of all of our podcasts on your commute to and from work or in your downtime between events of course the reverse to that is if you are listening to the podcast via one of those platforms you can also go over to eventindustrynews.com you can watch video versions of all the podcasts as well as checking out the latest news content and features that are on the eventindustrynews.com website our thanks once again to deborah henley our guest today and our thanks once again to universal live we are at their HQ in Bradford today with a podcast studio set up for all of our recordings. We're going to be speaking to them a little bit later today for an episode that will go out in a few weeks' time. So our thanks to them. And we will see you all on the next edition of the Event Industry News podcast. Thanks very much and goodbye. Goodbye.